most dominant feelings of the past seven months is the experience of waiting for hours, for days, for weeks on end, we have sat inside our homes, maybe someone else's home, some people without a home at all, wondering when it will be possible to return to normal. Though we may wish with all of our hearts and souls, with all of our might, that the waiting were over, it is not. And tonight, I want to explore with you what it might mean to sink into this experience of waiting. The experience of waiting sometimes feels like it can accentuate a sense of distance as we are poignantly aware of the gap between where we are and where we wish we were. It can accentuate a sense of absence as we wish we could hold a reality that simply is not yet. But can waiting also be generative? How could this waiting change us and change our world for the better? Rosh Hashanah may seem like a day of finality, but in its essence, you can also understand Rosh Hashanah as a holiday of waiting. One of the lines in Rosh Hashanah liturgy that we recite when we hear the shofar associates Rosh Hashanah with the state of pregnancy, Hayom Harat Olam, today is pregnant forever. Idyllic pictures of pregnancy and creation see this phrase as perhaps alluding to endless possibility or abiding hope. But pregnancy in its essence is about waiting, and it's about waiting with uncertainty. If we turn to the biblical passage that is the source, or at least an intertext for this phrase, Hayom Harat Olam, today is pregnant eternally, the image of pregnancy and waiting forever takes on a particularly dark resonance. And we're gonna linger in this passage for a minute, even though it is so dark, because I think this passage vividly names a feeling that may have surfaced for many of us, whether consciously or subconsciously, whether for a long time or for a brief moment in these difficult months. So we're gonna to turn to the book of Jeremiah, Yirmiyahu in chapter four, the prophet, imagines a state of eternal pregnancy, harat olam, and he imagines that because he is in a place of utter despair. He curses the day he was born and wishes he would never have come out of his mother's womb. Vatihi li imi kivri, berachma harat olam. He wishes that his mother, he says that my mother might have been my grave and her womb pregnant with me for all time. That's our phrase, harat olam. He goes on to say, why did I ever issue from the womb to see misery and woe, to spend all my days in shame? It's pretty harsh, but I think worth digging into a little bit. Yirmiyahu is so aggrieved by the state of the world, he wants to shut it out. He doesn't only want to die to bring an end to his pain, he wants to have never known it. He wants to reverse the tape and undo the intensity of suffering and devastation. He wants to erase the record. There are eerie resonances with the shofar in this passage as well. Yirmiyahu, besides cursing the day that he was born, also curses the person, the one who announced his birth. And he wishes that this messenger would have been like a city 
overthrown in battle with shrieks and shouts, za'aka u trua, right? That word trua, like trua of the shofar. That is where this intertext for this short little phrase in the Rosh Hashanah liturgy takes us. The shofar sound becomes that battle cry that buries the one who announced our birth. It expresses the utmost desperation. And as we come to the new year this year and look at the world around us, Hayom Harat Olam allows us to name very directly without any covering up those moments when we have wanted to give up. On a holiday dedicated to remembering, it allows us to name that there are things we want to utterly forget. I'm going to ask you to take a minute to replay news you might have heard this year that you wish would have never happened, images you wish were not real, the plans you wish would not have been upended, return to events you wish you hadn't had to grieve. There is so much to mourn this year. Hayom Harat Olam, through the echo of Yirmiyahu, gives us permission in our souls to hibernate, to imagine we never have to come out and confront the swirling mess of the world. In our darkest experience of waiting, this kind of waiting, we may feel like we are waiting for it all to end. In the words of, of Eov in the book of Job, waiting for death, but it is not. So this initial foray into what waiting can mean brings us in the extreme to the hardest moments of waiting when we want to just disappear into a safe place forever. This is the most devastating reading of Hayom Harat Olam, and we're going to move on from here for the rest of our time together. But it seemed inappropriate to just gloss over this disturbing, but I think quite resonant passage this particular year. The image of Harat Olam, eternal pregnancy, eternal waiting, leaves room for a different kind of waiting that is not entrenched in despair. Hayom Harat Olam, imagining the world in a state of ongoing waiting or pregnancy is an apt description of our experience of prolonged waiting. We are all waiting. And as we articulate what we are waiting for, our waiting, I hope, can become a creative force, like this waiting of Harat Olam, eternal pregnancy. So I'm going to ask you to actually take a minute here and name three things you might be waiting for. Name three things you might be waiting for, and you're welcome to open up the chat. You're welcome to jot down one or more of those things in the chat. They can be as specific or as profound as comes to mind. Three things you are waiting for. To hug everyone, end the fear of getting sick, end to the pandemic, wedding, seeing family, to sing with others. Okay. There's a lot we're waiting for. You're welcome to keep putting those in the chat for a minute. I want to name three things in particular that I feel strongly I and we are waiting for. We are waiting for the world to be safe, safer, safe. We are waiting for communal infrastructures 
that are built around honesty and care that can reach all people. We are waiting for leadership that is centered on justice and compassion. And I wanna say this particular list, and I think so much of what we are waiting for, um, we can put into the words that is the theme of the Rosh Hashanah liturgy, we are waiting to enthrone God. And whether or not that's imagery you connect to or feel totally alienated from, I want to talk about this theme of enthroning God as enthroning that world, right? seeing that world that we are waiting for come into reality. In many ways, some of the things we're waiting for might not be so different from other years where we dream of a more perfect world that is more just and caring. But this year, the waiting feels more acute to more people and the gap between where we are and where we want and need to be feels more vast. We are waiting to enthrone God. And on a holiday that's devoted to a vision, we see in the liturgy so many times of God sitting there already on the throne, running the world with justice and compassion, we are acutely aware that we are still waiting and waiting and waiting for this. Ki mechakim anachnulach, for we are waiting for you. We say these words, ki mechakim anachnulach, we say these words in the Kedusha prayer on Shabbat and holiday mornings. We say, God, appear from your place and rule over us, for we are waiting for you. When will you rule? I'm going to sing that for a minute as we have the echoes of what it means to sink into this waiting that we are acutely aware of and wonder where it can take us. This is a melody by Joey Weisenberg. I feel like words are not the things we need right now, um, but hopefully the words that I'm sharing tonight on waiting will help us get to where we need to be. Sinking into that melody, right? the resonance, the questions that I want to ask are, what does it mean to describe our general mode of existence as a state of waiting, as a state of waiting for God in this text? It gives rise to a lot of questions. What exactly are we waiting for? Who are we waiting with? And what will we do while we wait? 
Waiting for God is sometimes couched in the terminology of faith, as in the Maimonidean formulation, anima amin be'amuna shalema b'viyata mashiach, afal pi she'yitmamea im kozeachakelo b'chol yom she'yavo. I believe with perfect faith in the coming of the Messiah, though the Messiah tarries, I will continue to wait each day. This kind of formulation pairs waiting and belief And faith can definitely be a meaningful aspect of waiting. But the image of harat olam, eternal pregnancy that we started with, points in a different direction where the waiting is actually embedded very deeply in uncertainty rather than faith in a particular outcome. And there are sharper and more purposeful tenors to this experience of uncertain waiting, that kind of waiting that we might find ourselves in uncertain waiting. This kind of waiting is hard and painful, especially when it is drawn out and you don't know when the waiting, when the end of the waiting will come. Um, in the words of a particular commentary on the Talmud and tractate Sanhedrin, this kind of prolonged waiting, says the Maharsha here, it, it's a sickness, it's an emotional sickness. It makes our hearts sick. It is difficult. It is uncomfortable. And it would be easier and maybe more comfortable, perhaps, to forget about what could be, resign ourselves to what is. But we don't let ourselves go there. We can't let ourselves go there. In the, world, in the words of the Talmud, we have to keep waiting because waiting brings reward. Mekabel sachar. Waiting brings reward. In the words of Isaiah, ashrei kol chochela. Anybody who waits will be ashrei, they will be blessed, they will be fortunate. So how does waiting lead to blessing? How can waiting actually be generative and not just painful? Um, and I want to explore this idea of the waiting that is a blessing and harat olam, that idea of eternal waiting or prolonged waiting in pregnancy, to bring these two texts together, think about what pregnancy might teach about a generative sort of waiting. In pregnancy, waiting can be a rich and substantive time to form dreams and visions, even in acute uncertainty. Letting ourselves dream while waiting involves risk. Maybe what we are waiting for will never come. Maybe our waiting and the dreams we let ourselves dream in our waiting will end in tragedy. We are always aware of that in part of our, our mind and our heart. And naming that possibility is scary, but it's also necessary because it gives us permission to dream and vision even when we are waiting and waiting with uncertainty. Waiting can give rise to anticipation. Waiting gives us that time and maybe an emotional state to taste what it is we are waiting for. The biblical root for waiting, chet kaf he, is similar to the word for palate, chika. Generative waiting is a waiting of anticipation and tasting, if you bring these two words together. And I want to say, in the penitential slichot prayers that we said just yesterday, there's a phrase that, that stood out to me, barer chiki, clarify or cleanse my palate, we said. And we said, God, have compassion on us, anticipate our needs, cleanse my palate. And here the poet imagines a time 
when we won't have to wait because God will anticipate our needs. But I hope we can realize some of this blessing even in our own times of acute waiting, that our waiting, can also bring us to cleansing our palate, our waiting can bring our own understanding of our failures into more full relief and allow us to have a more discerning palate. And from that, it can allow us to taste more clearly what it will take to build the world that we want to live in, the world that comes after our waiting. Right? The waiting that cleanses our palate can let us taste and envision with more purpose how we are going to get to that world we want to live in. An expectant parent who is waiting and waiting with uncertainty may dare to imagine what it will feel like to hold a child. An expectant parent may sketch the contours of what their unknown child's face may look like, what their voice will sound like, who they will grow up to be. They may rehearse their favorite stories that they'll tell and the lullabies they will sing. This waiting and anticipation leads to a sort of tasting and feeling what could be. In this prolonged period of waiting that we are in, we can anticipate the world that we want to be living in. This can be a period of active visioning rather than feeling paralyzed and immobilized by powerlessness. Knowing that we are in a state of waiting to enthrone God rather than enthroning God is our chance to invest in clarifying our dreams and our visions and our ideals of what it would mean for God to reign at all. So how can we lean into this time of waiting with all of its challenges and hardships as a chance to gain clarity and tangibly sense what we want our lives, our communities, and our world to be like? Take a minute to envision one specific thing about that world what it will feel like to walk out of your door, how people will relate to each other, to the environment, what will bring a sense of safety and trust to all people. Take a minute to envision, to clarify your sense of vision and purpose about what that world could look like. waiting as an opportunity to taste what we are waiting for, our waiting becomes purposeful and clarifying. 
Hayom harat olam, today as eternal pregnancy, prolonged waiting. That, Rosh Hashanah, doesn't lead to a waiting of complacency. Waiting means acutely tasting the world we have to birth into being. Waiting means preparing, building our strength, and getting ready for action. The flip side of leaning into the experience of waiting and embracing that waiting as an opportunity for visioning is the acute awareness that waiting is actually not an option at all. The deferral of God's enthronement, the deferral of the rule of justice and empathy as we sit and wait leads to drastic consequences each and every day. So when I say we should be embracing the state of waiting, that is not about complacency. It's about realizing how much we cannot wait and we have to act in whatever way is possible. Um, and I wanted to turn now for a minute to a passage in Yeshayahu and Isaiah that relates to waiting with failure and um, the errors that we make that lead to prolonged waiting. God in chapter 30 in Isaiah offers a sort of triumph and victory and ultimate redemption that could have come through calm and confidence. But because of our sins, right, we refused that. We turned to destructive paths. And in response, God, like a middle school teacher, says, I'll wait. Therefore, God will wait to be gracious to you and remain aloof from having compassion on you. For God is a God of justice. And yet, fortunate are those who wait for God. So we are waiting in this text because God is waiting. And God is waiting because we have messed up. It's not hard to enumerate the destructive human failures that are pervasive in our own world and more acutely affecting other perhaps more natural modes of hardship. Our failures push God away and immobilize us as we are stuck waiting. So embracing this period of waiting also means embracing that we actually cannot wait anymore. We have to act to bring the world we are waiting for into being. And I want to close with two passages here. Um, one is just a brief quote from Akiva Manson in his essay, Beyond the Sea, that was a, an essay that won our Ateret Svi Prize at, at Hadar. You can check out the full essay, but a student of mine who wrote, who wrote this, I think, so eloquently, waiting for God to respond involves taking up the responsibilities with which God is usually saddled and attempting to provide health to the frail, forgiveness to the repentant, knowledge to the curious, justice to the righteous, redemption to the desperate. Our waiting for God becomes a profound non-waiting. It's certainly a bit of a paradox, but that is what it means to embrace waiting. And the last verse I will bring us, and with this we'll close, is the idea of how the shofar pierces our waiting and can move us into action and move God into action. This last verse I'll bring from Isaiah chapter 30 is, you shall not have cause to weep, says God. God will grant you God's favor at the sound of your cry. God will respond as soon as God hears it.
Lotivke, Bacho Lotivke, Hanon Yoch Nechale Kozakecha Keshamato Anach. So here we see that the shofar is meant to intervene in our experience of waiting. So Rosh Hashanah is both embracing waiting, that prolonged waiting, and also an intervention in that waiting that allows us to realize we can act. We can taste the world we are waiting for, and that tasting the world we are waiting for, will actually bring us to greater clarity, to greater purpose, and shake us into doing the work that we need to do to enthrone God. Hayom harat olam, there is a co-creation process here. Through our prolonged waiting, we create a vision of the God who needs to be in the world, and we also create ourselves in the image of that God and do our work, which is divine work, to end this waiting. Thank you so much for being here. Shana Tovah.